Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, this week is NBA trade deadline week meaning this and the subsequent two-week or so buyout market period will be Brooklyn's last opportunities to complete their roster as best they can in order to compete for an NBA championship. I have to admit, they're awfully close right now. Just a game behind first place Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference, go along with the fourth best record in the entire league. Winners of 15 of their last 17 games, all but one without one of the best players in the world in Kevin Durant, winning games even when they're far from their best. Like Sunday's slog against Washington, first game I got to cover live in over a year. I'll be exploring all that in today's show. Got a bunch of clips I think you'll like. And also be responding to all of you who hit me up on Twitter in a special NBA trade deadline mega listener mailbag segment. So I hope you enjoy this show, and if you do, I ask that you please subscribe to this podcast when you can on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And also, feel free to let me know what you think in the Apple Podcast review section. So I guess I have to start this off with the recent twist in the Nets plot, and that's the rise of one Nicholas Claxton. Coach Steve Nash has done all he can to temper our expectations for the sophomore out of Georgia. I mean, the guy's been snake bit when it comes to injuries. Missing the Nets' first 32 games this season with a knee issue. So, I guess you have to give Nash some rope here when it comes to his playing time. But, man, facts are facts. 
And the fact is that the Nets have been a whole lot better with Claxton on the court since he's come back than they've ever been with DeAndre Jordan in the middle. I mean, even if you ignore the vast difference in the somewhat small sample size net rating, use your eyes. And I guess Nash has seen it too because Claxton has been in the closing lineup these last three games. Not Jordan, not small ball Jeff Green, Nick Claxton. After the first of those games when they beat Indiana, I asked Nash if he was willing to put more on Claxton's plate, and here's the clip. Hi, Steve. Uh, in the past, you've mentioned about not wanting to put too much on Nick's plate as he's ramping himself back from the injury. Uh, you gave him pretty much the whole fourth quarter tonight, so I was wondering, uh, is that give you food for thought, I guess, uh, for going forward about using him even more? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, he was gassed at times tonight. I think everyone was with shorter bench. Um, Every minutes, we try to take a couple timeouts in the fourth to, just to give them a breather. You know, Nick is, uh, he's, uh, he's in between. You know, he's, he obviously you can see his activity and length and the, the things that he can do to help our team. Um, but you have to be careful overplaying him. Um, that's why we took some of those timeouts to give him and James, you know, and Joe a little bit of an extra breather. But, um, you know, Nick's doing great. You know, we... We love the profile he brings to our team, long, mobile, big, who's, who's active and plays hard, and uh, he was definitely a big factor tonight. So, yeah, I mean, Nash can hem and haw and hedge all he wants, but like I said before, you know, there's a reason why he's trusting Claxton more and more and others less. And Nash just scratched the surface when he talked about Claxton's activity and length. I mean, it's really how he's using those traits. Again, you know, small sample size disclaimer here. You know, I'm also emphasizing that, you know, Claxton's played a larger portion of his minutes against opposing teams' backups. But, you know, the numbers are what they are. The Nets are allowing just 99 points per 100 possessions when Claxton is on the court. Remember, we're talking about the Nets here. Team that struggles to keep ball handlers in front, lacks appropriately sized wing defenders, and is the league's worst in second chance points allowed. So, you know, Claxton must have something to do with that anomaly. And, you know, that it factor is his seamless ability to not only switch one through five, but also to be active enough to come over and help out off those switches and rebound. Now, think about all the times, you know, you've seen Claxton switched out on a guard and how small the team generally around him usually is. You know, and that's a rebounding about three quarters of opponents misses when Claxton's on the floor which, you know, on its own would rank ninth in the league. Of course, it's the switching that has made every Nets fan swoon. That block on the beloved former Net Karis Levert last week in Indiana, oh, that was just so special. On Sunday, NBA.com had Claxton down as the nearest defender on five shots attempted by Washington's dynamic backcourt, Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. They converted one of them. I mean, I think I told you last week that Claxton was allowing opponents to shoot about 45% as the nearest defender. How's he been doing with more responsibility, you may ask? They're still shooting about 45%, at least according to NBA.com's tracking data. So here's what Claxton had to say about how he goes about switching onto elite guards. Hi, Nick. Uh, the league is starting to 
see that you can how well you can cover guard. So when you're isolated against a Westbrook or a Beal, two dynamic players, what goes through your mind? What are you trying to prevent most? I mean, deep down, I'm smiling because if teams want to continue to do that, and then they might get a couple of buckets, but I'm, I'm gonna get more stops than definitely. So deep down, I'm just smiling. I'm ready. I, I know the scout report. I know what players want to do. I'm a huge basketball fan, so I've been watching all of these guys since I was since I was young. So just me being out there, using my IQ, using my my footwork, guarding without fouling, it's fun. Honestly, I wasn't able to switch one through five last year at all. So me being able to switch, I think that's huge. That's huge for us, especially if teams want to go at me directly. I mean, that's just taking away the flow from other players. And like I said, I might get scored on a couple of times, but for the most part, you know, I'm good. A couple of takeaways from that clip from Nick Claxton. One, I don't know if he was intentionally taking a shot at former coach Kenny Atkinson, but, you know, sure sounded like it could have been one of those things where, you know, Kenny was simply just stuck in his ways, you know, drop coverage, pick and rolls, give opponents uncontested mid-range shots. You know, analytics above all else. Sorry, I digress. The more important takeaway is that this guy's confidence is just exploding out of him at this point of his career. In the last two and a half minutes of a tight game on Sunday night, he had not one, but two monster dunks through contact off passes from Kyrie Irving, even converting both free throws for three-point plays. I mean, if Irving trusts you enough where he gives up the ball in the middle of the paint in crunch time... I don't know. To me, that speaks volumes. So what does this mean in the grand scheme of things? I mean, that's something that will surely be discussed by Sean Marks and Nash and all the basketball operations people this week. I mean, we're once not that too long ago. The Nets were barren at the bigger positions. There's now a little bit of a glut. And that's before we see who they'll be adding with their two open roster spots. Yeah, I know this guy, Elize Johnson, was just signed to a 10-day contract, but come on, he's just a placeholder. I haven't seen much of him besides a few highlights. I don't know, can he really help this team? Seems to me like another Justin Anderson type, you know, 3 and D without the 3. Reportedly, he's a ferocious rebounder, but not all that athletic. So, you know, Nets had to sign someone, so fine, they chose a guy who had a terrific G League bubble. But, you know, I think the Nets are looking for people who are more likely to help them win down the line in the postseason. Guys who can step in in a pinch against the other contenders. Now, just for an example, someone to provide something like Jordan Insurance. Because I know how so many of you like to hate on Jordan, for good reason. But fact remains, he's the only big on this team with real bulk to man up against the Joel Embiid's of the league. Not that he's an Embiid stopper, but tell me, who is? Jordan had been doing just fine in the games where he's been tasked with tough matchups. Donatus Sabonis on Indiana is 6-for-19 against him in the two games Jordan guarded him. He walled up pretty well against Giannis Antetokounmpo earlier in the season, holding him to a 7-for-18 night. Again, these are just NBA.com tracking numbers. Yeah, you know, he's going to take possessions, stretches, and even nights off with less than optimal effort. Mobile bigs like Bam Adebayo, three-point shooting bigs like Nikola Vucevic, they're going to give him trouble. But the Nets have options for that. 
And though it's wrong that this even matters, you guys all know Jordan is a friend of Kevin, one of the three amigos who chose Brooklyn two summers ago in free agency. So, you know, unless something happens, like an injury or a real drop-off in play in games that matter, yeah, Jordan's probably going to start. So, again, a player the Nets might target in the coming week, you know, all the way through the buyout period, Probably a guy who can step in and defend a legitimate big man for about 20 minutes a night. Not necessarily Andre Drummond. Like I said last week, I just have a hunch he's going to be a Laker if he's bought out. But maybe more like a JaVale McGee or even a Robin Lopez. Guys who, if they don't play, won't make a stink. Because, I mean, I think you still have to give Claxton some time, even when KD comes back and Blake Griffin is fully ramped up. This idea that Nash keeps spouting, that Blake's best position is a five, that's nonsense. As much nonsense as when he said Jeff Green's best position is the five. Given all the switching, yeah, I mean, they can be interchangeable when there's also a similarly sized player next to them, like when Green plays with Durant. But the last thing I want to see is four guards or wings in Green. I mean, you look at a random lineup with Green, Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris, and Bruce Brown. That group has gotten killed. It was a 124 to 107 in their 48 minutes together. The numbers say Green's best partner has been with Claxton. It just works for so many reasons. From, you know, the optimal floor spacing on offense to Green's ability to scram switch when Claxton gets switched onto guards. You know, Green has just been so good at getting the Nets' smaller guys out of bad matchups underneath. That was a recurring problem earlier in the season. And in that sense, Nash was right in that it took time for his guys to figure out how to communicate in those situations. Unfortunately, Nash has also opted to have Green start in the last two games. And if you watch those games, it felt like he'd just soak your eyeballs in acid. It was that ugly. Far uglier than what we saw when Bruce Brown was Jordan's sidekick, despite all of you who continue to howl that the Nets can't play with two non-shooters on the floor. Folks, the Nets are still well in plus territory as far as net rating goes, and they've played 317 minutes together. Nothing, you know, has beaten Green and Claxton. 92 minutes, plus 23.4 net rating. I asked Claxton last week about how Green has helped him, and here's the clip. Hi, Nick. Uh, Coach Nash has played you a lot with Jeff Green, including all your minutes tonight. Uh, can you just describe some of the ways having a veteran like him has helped you with your development this year? This year? Yeah, Jeff, he's, he's really vocal, and it puts the it puts teams in a bind when he's going up there setting the screen for James, and I'm right there in a the dunker, and I'm just playing off of him, reading that. It's pretty tough to defend because if the – Defender steps up off me, then I have an easy finish. And like I say, he's vocal. He gives me a lot of tips, especially when he was out and he wasn't playing. So, you know, he told me he wants me to be great. So I definitely appreciate that from, from Uncle Jeff. Again, that was Net Center Nick Claxton on Jeff Green. Should note that Claxton also had a successful first pairing with Griffin on Sunday night. Of course, you know, it's just one game. Can't make any definitive judgments on 10 minutes of action. So I did notice that Griffin did show similar high basketball IQ moments that enabled Green to work so well with Claxton. So, you know, back to my original point, 
which is that Griffin and Green shouldn't be pigeonholed as fives? You know, as awful as the Landry Shaman injury looked when he landed on a wizard's foot after launching a three-pointer on Sunday, you know, if his absence is long-term beyond this three-game road trip he'll be missing this week, you know, it does open some intriguing possibilities down the road. Like, you know, how about a starting five of KD, Kyrie, Harden, Griffin, and Jordan? With a bench unit, you know, that includes Harris, Brown, Green, and Claxton. You know, swap out Jordan or Griffin for Harris if the opponent goes small. Maybe use Tyler Johnson off the bench instead of Brown to get more shooting. You're switching everything on defense anyway. Now you have the size to keep the paint protected by only having to worry about getting Kyrie out of a bad hunted matchup inside. So, you know, getting back to my original thesis of this show, which is what does this team really need? And can they get it with what they have? You know, no first-round picks, all disposed of in the Harden deal. No mid-tier salaries to trade other than Spencer Dinwiddie's. He's out for the season and is likely to then opt out of the final year of his contract. You know, just a couple of exceptions to use on a free agent. Dinwiddie's DPE and a taxpayer mid-level, both around $5.7 million. I think you know one of those is prorated, I'm not sure which one. And obviously you can't use Dinwiddie's disabled player exception if you're going to trade him. So that's where you listeners come in as I neatly segue into the special trade deadline preview listener mailbag segment. Thanks to all of you who replied to my Twitter call. So let's get started. First, from at Fire Billy King, who asked a perfect preface question. Trade or keep Dinwiddie? You know, considering, you know, he will command big money as a free agent and the Nets already have Harden and Irving as primary ball handlers. Well, Mr. Fire Billy King, you are correct in your assessment, except, you know, if you recall those early games before Dinwiddie's injury, he wasn't really used as a point guard. He was more of an off-the-ball wing and a secondary facilitator with the focus on defending the opponent's best scorers. You know, he made it clear he was perfectly fine doing that if it meant contending for a championship this season, probably knowing he would still get paid next year. Still, you know, I don't foresee the Nets being the ones who'll be paying him. And that means they have to trade him. Losing assets for nothing, simply poor management. You know, look at the Celtics. Not much damage they're trying to weather after Kyrie and Gordon Hayward both walked. After all the picks Brooklyn gifted them in the 2013 KG Pierce deal, you think they should be set up for multiple title runs. So, you know, at Fire Billy King, the question then becomes more of a when rather than a weather. And for that, I'm going to turn to at Rich Like Hell, who believes the Nets would be better off holding on to Didwitty until the offseason when they can dangle him in a sign-and-trade and potentially get a better return? Well, as you know, at Rich Like Hell, you know, there's no guarantee of that either. I mean, look at Hayward. What the Celtics got was a huge trade exception. Yeah, that has value, but only if you can swing a trade before November. And then, you know, you really have to look at the lost opportunity cost of not having Hayward around this season in addition to whatever you're giving up to use the trade exception. 
You know, Dinwiddie's new contract will in all likelihood be for far less than what Hayward's is. But, you know, you're also running the risk that you can find a partner willing to go along with that deal. I mean, I get it. You're probably not getting dollar-for-dollar value in any Dinwiddie trade, now or later. Since, like you, I only hear rumors, it's hard to really know what the best deal out there is right now, or if they really are any. You know, my preference would be if the Nets can find something they can use now, take it. Even if it means possibly missing out on something better later. Because you know, they could conceivably end up with nothing. So thank you at Rich Like Hell. And I guess I should also give a shout out to Eddie Limage of at Limage Eddie for asking a similar question on Didwitty. So Eddie, you know, my gut says yes. Spencer gets moved by Thursday. Next up, I'm going to take a non-trade question from at RonnieLove23, who asked, do you think Griffin will take Jordan's minutes late in the season going into the playoffs? Well, that's a good question, Mr. RonnieLove23. Talked about this a little earlier, but my thinking at this point is no. Again, you know, unless Jordan is injured or his game goes completely in the tank, or, you know, if there's a bad matchup like Adebayo or something, I think he will continue to at least start. Now, you know, his minutes for the rest of these games will be determined by his performance that night, just like it's always been during this recent stretch. Look, I think we all need to see what Griffin has left in his tank before we rush to judgment. But, you know, like I said before, I think his best position is still as a four anyway, not a five. And thanks again for your question, Ronnie Love 23. In a similar vein, loyal listener Corey Cantor of at CBC 727 asked a trio of questions, including one on a playoff starting five that I'm going to punt for the moment. I promise I'll get to it shortly, Corey. As for your other questions, there really you know, isn't a team, in my opinion, that that should be afraid of in the first round. Like I've said before, with this team, it's really all about effort. Their record versus the rest of the top 10 teams in the league is 9-1. And, And, you know, on the other end of the stick, six of their 14 losses have come against the worst six teams in the league. Makes absolutely no sense. You know, I must say that I personally hope they don't face the Knicks, only because it would negate any home court advantage they'd have. Talent-wise, when everyone's healthy, the Nets are the scariest team in the league, as James Harden first noted. And speaking of Harden, Corey also wants to know if I think he should receive MVP recognition. If by recognition you mean MVP consideration, Corey, absolutely. The guy has been unreal. I mean, not just scoring, but how he leads. How he makes everybody better. Now, will he win MVP? I mean, it's still really too early to say. I mean, he's played 29 games for Brooklyn. And, you know, the other eight he played in Houston count too, you know. So, you know, let's wait on that for now. Okay, Corey, at CBC727. I mean, you know, we can all see that Harden's getting a little fatigued out there. You know, I talked about that last week when he was like 0 for his last 11 from three-point range. You know, now the slump has reached 8 for his last 45. 
Of course, you know, he's still so talented. He can still dominate a game offensively even when he's not shooting it well from the outside. Maybe even more so than when Jason Kidd used to do it for this franchise. I mean, he's really been indispensable for the Nets. And Nash knows the conundrum. But he keeps playing Harden 40 minutes a night. I believe, you know, Harden sat out one game this year. You know, that choke job in Washington back in January. Here's what Nash had to say when I asked him about Harden's load after Sunday's game. Hi, Steve. Uh, can you talk about how James, you know, hasn't had the three-point touch in the last five or six games, but he's still able to be a dominant offensive player? And uh, are you concerned uh, at all about, you know, the minutes usage that he's taking up every game? I'm concerned about the minutes, yes. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is, though. Uh you know, he, he, he controls the game and, uh, you know, he, he hasn't shot the ball well since the break, but he, he made three threes tonight. He, he gets to the line. He makes assists, rebounds, steals. Um, you know, he's great, great in and around the basket. So, you know, he had another great performance, even if it wasn't necessarily a, a you know, a typical hardened uh, game. Um, so it's hard to take him off the floor because he makes his teammates better. Yeah, you know, there's also this underreported tidbit, you know, that Harden doesn't like to come out of games. You know, in a pregame show on WFAN with Chris Carino, Nash talked about some of those difficulties. You know, sometimes it's up to the team to save the player from himself. You know, if Harden wears down, you know, opposing teams are going to start adjusting. Maybe going under screens to take away his drives and pocket passes. I have to believe that the Nets are going to grant Harden a load management night on one of these back-to-backs this week. You know, they already set one up for Tuesday night in Portland by listing him as questionable with a neck injury he sustained in a collision at the end of the first half on Sunday. Even though Harden laughed it off afterwards, saying he was fine. I mean, this guy doesn't want to miss a possession, let alone a game. Now, I'll tell you one player who hasn't had issues with taking games off, and it's Irving. On Monday, we got word that Irving will be missing all three games on the road trip due to personal reasons. I mean, honestly, I don't know what to say. You know, we all wish Kyrie well with whatever he has to deal with. And since we don't know exactly what that is, you know, it'd be unfair to give an opinion on it. You know, however, you know, we do now know from reporting by several friends of this podcast The Nets organization wasn't all that pleased the last time Irving took time off, you know, when he missed seven games in January. The way he plays with all the spectacular finishes around the basket, he's always going to be an injury risk. And, you know, if he has to miss a few games here and there to manage them, you know, so be it. You know, these three games aren't that. Again, you know, I hope whatever the situation he is dealing with gets resolved painlessly. But, you know, we can't ignore the difficulty these situations have put his teammates in, especially Harden. So, sorry to go off on a tangent there, but let's move on to Nets fan Dave at NJBKLYN Nets. Nice handle there, Dave. Anyway, he asked if I think the Nets will look to the buyout or trade market for more shooting, given Shamit's injury. Or if I think they can get by with Johnson and Timothy Luau Cabarro. Um, that's Van Dave. I'm going to split the difference here. 
assuming everyone else is healthy. I personally think they can get by with Harrison Johnson as off-ball shooters. You know, but if TLC has to play, you know, winning multiple series is a fantasy. You got to remember, you know, that's three stars. You're going to be playing big minutes in the playoffs. That being said, you know, if someone like J.J. Redick becomes available, yeah, I can see Marks giving him a strong offer as a buyout candidate. I mean, the guy lives in town. I don't even think he once said he owes his wife one for all the places he's been in. However, you know, in my view, it's more important the Nets get someone who can defend at that spot, not shoot. Wing defenders. Thanks for the question, Nets fan Dave at NJBKLYN Nets. Which brings me to at Forever Shook, who proposes the Nets trade Dinwiddie to Memphis for either Justice Winslow or Kyle Anderson in a second round pick. I think you're on the right track there, Forever Shook. Just not sure if a two team deal will get this done. You know, with Memphis sitting just two games out of the eight seed in the West. I think you're going to probably need a third team to give something to Memphis to keep them in the hunt. You know, a team that's lottery bound and wants Dinwiddie's bird rights to help them re-sign him as a free agent. I don't know. You know, look at the Magic, you know, who are looking to get rid of Evan Fournier or maybe Terrence Ross. You know, how about a three-way where the Nets get Anderson, Grizzlies get Fournier, and the Magic get Dinwiddie and Tyus Jones. You know, works on the trade machine, just not all that sure it works in the real world. Maybe, you know, a team thinks that they're getting screwed should get a second-round pick. So, thank you at Forever Shook. Next, LFGM at Henry Sanchez sees what a lot of you are seeing, that the Nets are growing frustrated with Jordan's deficiencies and he wants to know at what point does Nash bench him? And I did just go over this, Mr. Henry Sanchez, but I still want to give you a shout for the question. You know, Jordan didn't play at all over the last 18 minutes on Sunday night. And the same thing happened in the loss in the prior game in Orlando. Those are kind of benchings. There have been games when Nash hasn't liked Jordan's starting center matchup and has gone smaller. I think all these things will continue until further events dictate more drastic changes. I mean, Jordan does get up for bigger games. That's a fact. Now, you know, if Jordan can't get it done in the playoffs, you know, I, I still have faith that Nash will make corrections. So thanks again, LFGM at Henry Sanchez. Next, we have loyal listener Femi Okabadejo. He checks in with a question on whether Claxton, who Femi calls Chris Bosch light, whether he will eventually develop into an all-star. I mean, come on, Femi, you got to put the brakes on there. I mean, the guy's played 26 games in his NBA career. I mean, a lot has to happen for him to get to the highest levels. I mean, a lot. He has to be able to do what he's been doing for longer stretches against the game's best players. And to do that, you know, he's got to get stronger. He has to shoot it better. He has to make winning plays down the stretch against teams a heck of a lot better than Washington. I mean, he turns 22 years old in a month. He's got some time. Let's give it to him. 
But, you know, thank you as always for your question there, Femi. And finally, we go back to where I started with another pair of questions from at FireBillyKing. First, he asked, what is my ideal net starting lineup and minute rotations for the playoffs? Well, Mr. FireBillyKing, I guess I have to assume that you mean when everyone is healthy, which, you know, who knows whether that'll ever happen. In any event, I'm going to go with the same starting five I said earlier. You know, KD, Kyrie, Harden, Griffin, and Jordan. Unless, you know, the opponent goes small up front. In which case, I start Harris instead of either Griffin or Jordan. Whichever makes more sense given the opponent. As for minutes, I don't know how this can be useful to anyone. But, you know, if you insist, I aim to please. So, you know, Mr. Fire Billy King, this is what I got. KD, 42. Harden, 42. Irving, 40. Griffin, 22. Jordan, 18. Harris, 28. Claxton, 20. Green, 16. And then some combination of Shamit, Brown, and Johnson, 12. So, you know, I double-checked. That adds up to 240 minutes. Do with it whatever you want including throwing it out in the trash. And, you know, I like your next question a lot better at Fire Billy King. You asked if I agreed with Nash's defensive philosophy of switching everything. I guess that's what people call a thinker. Personally, yeah, I mean, I kind of like it. When played correctly, it can take opposing offenses out of what they like to do. Makes them stagnant. Instead of running things, you know, they hunt mismatches and go with isolations. You're not just giving them open looks at the basket like you do with drop coverage. You know, will it work in the end? Now, that's the real question. I mean, it takes time and superb communication on the court. And in the playoffs, you'll see coaches draw plays when teams will drag a bunch of people into an area before they break free, hoping the nets break down. Because you know, when it does break down, it looks just awful. You know, layup drills. Play it right, though, and teams resort to hero ball. In today's game, I kind of like that Nash is having them take those risks. So thanks for those additional questions at FireBillyKing. And thanks to all you listeners who replied to me on Twitter. Hope you enjoyed that mega mailbag segment. And I also hope you enjoyed the rest of today's special NBA trade deadline preview episode. I'll be back sometime next week, so follow me on Twitter to check the posting. Or simply subscribe to this podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Also, please feel free to send some nice comments my way on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time... I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.